82% of healthcare organizations in this survey reported a cyber attack on their IoT devices. And that's just a number that we can't ignore anymore. Does that mean we shouldn't adopt new technology? I think the answer is most assuredly not. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Carly Thornell, Industry Marketing Strategist for Healthcare and Life Sciences at Akamai, and Claire Broom, Global Lead Healthcare at Akamai. And today we'll be talking about healthcare and life sciences cybersecurity, meeting the pace of need with the pace of speed in 2023 and beyond. And before we start, I do want to say thank you to Akamai for sponsoring this podcast. Well, Carly, Claire, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mary. Hi, how are you? Can you please share with me your perspective and your insights on notable 2022 ransomware attacks and data breaches and their effect on healthcare and life sciences uh, writ large? Sure. Marianne, this is Carly. Thanks so much for welcoming us. Um, that's a great question. And it's one that could definitely go on longer than the 20 minutes we have to spend, of course. But <laughs> as we um, as we look ahead to 2023, healthcare is really being dominated both by threat activity and regulation, as we've seen this year. Um, so for 2020 perspective on 2022, I think uh, those of us in the healthcare and life sciences industry and, and even your average Joe patient out there have seen lots of headlines about the recent ransomware attack of Common Spirit Health. So Common Spirit is the second largest nonprofit U.S. hospital. They face disruption in many of their 21 states, forcing ambulance diversions, shutdowns of systems that included their electronic health record or EHR and patient appointment scheduling. So you have both clinical and financial outcomes. But, you know, it doesn't stop there. Uh, earlier this year, there was a children's hospital out in Seattle that had to notify 7,000 families that the PHI data of their children had been compromised due to a ransomware attack at a mail service vendor. And then in West Virginia last year, they were sued over the compromised um, PHI of half a million people that not only included patients, but also included uh, providers, employees, and contractors of that system. So the data uh, breach included social security numbers, dates of birth, and medical treatment information. So that's all information we all you know consider near, dear, and private. So what's really important about this is that uh, this is, is really only predicted to swing up. Gartner, uh, an analyst firm, predicts more human casualties due to cyber attacks on operational technology that have increased in number this year and uh, financial damages of over $50 billion by the end of next year. Um, this year, last month, the Biden administration picked healthcare as one of its next critical infrastructure focus areas with the goal of raising minimum security standards. And on Friday night, I don't know if you all saw in the news, a uh, Senate proposal tying Medicare reimbursements for hospitals uh, to meeting minimum cybersecurity standards. So not to ignore the elephant in the room, of course, this year we've also been dealing with the 11th continuation of the public health emergency, which has changed the nature of healthcare and the delivery of healthcare forever. So the expansion of the healthcare ecosystem, we're talking about everything from virtual care to proprietary and third-party apps and those wearables and devices has increased data exchange for the better, but with some caveats. And that expansion notably increases the number of endpoints and thus the number of vulnerabilities. So I'm going to hand it over to Claire to add in what she'd like to add. Thanks, Carly. You know, I think everything you've mentioned highlights the increasing need for proactive versus reactive strategies. You know, and let's not forget that the effects of a breach can impact both the databases and also the culture and brand of the organization that's been targeted. 
You know, for example, ransomware can lock down operational systems. One example might be the revenue system of the healthcare org. You know, imagine if your RCM system experienced downtime, how much money would you lose? Would you be able to get all that money back? But we're not only talking about money here, are we? You know, even more impactful um, is if real-time access to EHR systems is lost. You know, people can die. Think about how that would impact the lives of the families, the reputation of the healthcare organization, and the culture within that organization. You know, as the healthcare trends more towards consumerism every day, reputation management is everything. Doing everything to save lives is not just about what happens inside the doctor's office or the operating room. You know, it also means being proactive about mitigating cyber attacks. Being proactive means choosing a partner you trust that will help you and the easiest, find the easiest way to shut down the blast radius of ransomware. And the way to do that and the easiest way is through segmentation. You know, for healthcare organizations, it's important to work with a segmentation partner where the rollout is not complicated and it can work with legacy operating systems, which healthcare has a lot of. I think we're all going to agree about that. And it also needs to be able to work with on-premise in the data center that you have now, but then also in the cloud, as we've seen a massive move to cloud with healthcare organizations. It's also important to work with a partner who can protect your entire ecosystem and give you the application level visibility and control. It's also going to ensure that you keep cybersecurity insurance if you have a robust segmentation strategy. We're hearing from a lot of our customers that the regulators are asking more and more questions about segmentation in their assessment of their organizations. Absolutely. Now, let's dig a little bit more to those proactive versus reactive strategies. Now, lots of folks in this industry think that it's not a matter of if, but when cyber attackers may try to strike. Now, operational readiness is paramount in an industry that's different from finance or retail, because as you said, so dollars and cents, you're talking about human lives on the line. Now, uh, we'll start with you, Claire. What's your approach to discussing operational readiness? Yeah, well, you know, care continuity is a 24 by 7 job. Um, Lots of activities happen behind the scenes at all hours of the day. You know, access to patient and member records needs to be ready 24 by 7. You know, I just discussed the importance of segmentation to mitigate ransomware once it gets in. But that's not the only vector of attack that healthcare orgs need to think about. Locking down access to their applications and keeping them available is equally as important. You know, healthcare as a vertical is seeing a continuous rise of application layer and DDoS attacks. We're seeing it on the platform. We have the data. Whatever the attack vector, a plan should be put in place with a run book which covers all eventualities. And it should cover what your people need to do, the process they need to follow, and how to work with the mitigation technology that you've already selected and you're buying to protect you. If you've spoken to Akamai before, you'll hear us discuss being always on. Akamai's protections are always on and in line for all vectors of attacks. And a fun fact, Akamai is the most attacked platform in the world. So we know And we understand what it is our customers need to do. And then Gartner. Gartner recommends adopting a framework and a checklist of security controls to improve security posture across facilities in order to prevent incidents in the digital world from bleeding over and having an adverse effect in the physical world. While the first couple of steps they suggest are defining roles and responsibilities and training and awareness, Their framework most notably includes real-time detection and mitigation of security threats and network segmentation. You know, Akamai aligns to the Gartner 
framework plus many others. We're very flexible. But whichever framework you choose, it's important to have one. Carly, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think that was um, great insight. Thank you. So in terms of broader operational readiness, there are several important regulatory updates coming in 2023 and beyond that orgs need to be working on now um, if they aren't already. So we saw some delays throughout COVID when it came to HEDIS and STARS programs, in addition to an extension of the first phase of the Transparency and Coverage Act. But that's not likely to continue. Uh, So I, I think that some of those extensions granted due to the public health emergency year by and large over. So in terms of being proactive versus reactive, like Claire mentioned, focusing not only on prevention, but detection to minimize dwell time when it comes to mitigating ransomware is absolutely crucial. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Let's talk about some of the most important regulatory milestones that are approaching. Uh, Now, Carly, what should healthcare and life sciences be doing now to prepare for those? Yeah, so 2022, like I said, was a really important year for healthcare regulation um, in terms of what's happening today and and what we're going to see tomorrow and in the future. So most recently, the enforcement of the 21st Century Cures Enforcement Day of Reckoning. This affects providers and healthcare IT. So after many delays due to, you know, COVID or unpreparedness and against the requests of a lot of leading healthcare agencies that include the American Hospital Association, one of the major components of the 21st Century Cures Act around data blocking went into effect this quarter. That expands the set of data that must be made available to patients and the technology that they use. That expansion goes to all EPHI in the designated record set, which is demographics, medical billing, health plan enrollment, and claims adjudication data. So I'm going to hand it off to Claire to add a little bit more about the impact on where Akamai can can make a real difference. Yeah, thanks, Carly. Um, So Application infrastructure security solutions are going to be the solutions that protect this extremely valuable data and the endpoints that enable covered entities to make this data available to third parties to get the information out there in order to be transparent. I think when most people think about healthcare, we automatically think of HIPAA. But that's a regulation which is not designed for cybersecurity infrastructure. So the HIPAA Safe Harbor Bill is incentivizing best practices and takes cybersecurity into consideration when calculating those fines related to the security incidents. The High Trust Act framework gives organizations a way to show evidence of compliance with HIPAA-mandated security controls. There are so many regulations. It's a complex matrix. So a vendor who's compliant across all required capabilities adds tremendous value to the healthcare and life sciences corporations that they, because they are also heavily matrixed. Um, So we've mapped Akamai to the prevailing threats to help focus our discussions with our customers. This hopefully cuts through a lot of the noise when deciding which security tools you need um, to help to protect against which attack vector, it can get very confusing, especially with multiple vendors out there. But let's also remember that availability of data is not just in question during a cyber attack. It also needs to be fully available during peacetime. Your infrastructure needs to be available and scalable 24 by 7. This is why you're seeing a mass movement, as I mentioned up front, of healthcare organizations moving to the cloud. This is also why Akamai recently, as in this year, acquired a company called Linode, a cloud hosting company, so that we can provide a more cost-effective way to host healthcare applications and provide end-to-end security. 
The availability of engaging data with your patients and members on many devices requires a 100% uptime SLA, which you're going to get with Akamai. Terrific. Now, despite the public health emergency being extended for the 11th time in Q4, CMS released updated methodology and rankings for star ratings. Now, uh, Carly, can you share more about the implications behind that? Yeah, thanks, Marianne. Um, So concluding the leniency that was provided by CMS during COVID was not great news for payers this year. So in short, the higher the rating on a scale of one to five, the more the payer is reimbursed by Medicare for covering member services, and the more members that plan is likely to win or attract, which is really important in, you know, a world where we're talking about consumerism in in healthcare uh, very frequently. Um, So high ratings also come with quality bonuses as well. While most ratings are trending down, payers are going to be looking for ways to improve those star ratings, which range from member reported experience to preventative care adherence. And the other important thing to note is visit volume is still down significantly compared to 2019 levels. So there's a real need to get members back in for their preventative and and routine visits. And that doesn't only affect payer star ratings, but provider groups who are still largely compensated based on volume-based models. So long-term, there's also a huge associated cost with delayed maintenance visits because those patient conditions can worsen. And then coming out of COVID, we are seeing a shift toward innovation when it comes to the workflows and technology used. So, you know, I think we all can agree COVID was a catalyst for a lot of these things to put a a little shine on the penny there. But besides an uptick in, you know, certain specialties when it comes to virtual care, which is most notably mental health, there are a lot of new front office check-in and check-out models. A lot of these include innovations when it comes to automating paperwork intake forms, for example, uh, which is great news for all the people who work at a front desk. Uh, Phone calls for appointment reminders are largely going the way of the dodo bird as well with automated reminders. So like I said, has been replaced by email outreach and portal messaging. Each of those requires enhanced security on the provider organization's side and continuous uptime, like Claire mentioned. So uh, with the expansion of capabilities that include added credit cards on file across a a lot of EHR vendors, that reduces time and exposure at at check-in, but it does add some security uh, concerns or needs in there rather, you know, that that come from the banking side of the house. And it adds more endpoints when it comes to security and encryption. So a good time to ask Claire, uh, where does Akamai come in to assist with those? Yeah, so, you know, working with technology partners that understand this and who are compliant with not only HIPAA, but also PCI is really important. You know, keeping PHI and credit data secure is something that Akamai has been doing for a long time. Um, However, a stat that I find absolutely incredible, um, the Healthcare IT News published it, that 54% of CISOs are still struggling to convince their board to focus on cybersecurity investments. You know, it often ends up, and we see it all the time, it ends up in an emergency, somebody gets attacked and we do an emergency deployment, which is also ultimately going to cost more. Unplanned stuff always does. And mistakes can be made. We end up having to go back with both organizations and mop up any messes. We try not to, but, you know, it's on both sides. So, you know, Akamai has set up our go-to-market in a way that helps Healthcare likes to buy in bundles. Um, so we've aligned our portfolio to the requirements and trends of the healthcare customer's business. You know, we want to make it easier for our healthcare buyers to consume and understand what security controls they need and provide 
them the information that helps them control the narrative internally and help them advocate the investments, whether it be for the people, the process or the technology. So we would fit into the technology bucket. We also do a bit of staff augmentation as well, providing managed services and professional services. But we've segmented our 18 solutions into three security bundles and one cloud compute bundle to make it easier to understand. You know, for security, we've got secure your apps and APIs, secure your organization, secure your infrastructure, does what it says it on the tin. Yeah, then we have a cloud compute offering, which enables the digital footprint across the board. And it's where Akamai, you know, originally started 20 years ago. And now with our acquisition of Linode, we're really looking forward to having the discussions on how we can help our healthcare customers save money on their cloud infrastructure by hosting the apps in Linode with Akamai and then reinvesting the money they're saving into the security tools that are sorely needed so that we can help get that 54% of the struggle rate down that CISOs are finding to struggling to convince the board. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Carly, next year, we're also going to see the enhanced requirements for healthcare pricing transparency. Can you discuss those implications? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, You know, I think that's great news for patients, but maybe not such great news for the folks who are required to provide that transparency. So the, um, the rule helps consumers know the cost of a covered item or service before receiving care, um, you know, which, like I said, is, is fantastic for those of us used to knowing the price of something before having to buy it. Um, so beginning July 1st of this year, 2022, most group plans and or issuers of group or individual health insurance began posting pricing information for covered items and services. Um, This pricing information can be used by third parties, such as researchers and app developers to help consumers understand the costs associated with their own care. But most notably, more requirements will go into effect starting January 1st in 2021 and 2023. And so that will provide additional access to more information, uh, allowing consumers to shop, quote unquote, for their health care. In three stages, just really quickly, we've got sort of a rudimentary situation right now. We have machine-readable files for in-network and out-of-network rates, um, you know, allowed amounts and whatnot that are available to patients. And, and these, you know, can honestly look like dot matrix information, or they can look nice, depending on which payer you're talking about. Stage two is January 1 of 2023. So that's an internet-based pricing comparison tool for 500 of the top covered items and services. And then stage three is is your Whopper where you're talking about all items and services and pricing transparency when it comes to those. So Claire, what do you think that means for those who are required to provide this functionality? Yeah, so I don't know about you, but that screams to me the need for scale and availability. Like the amount of data that payers and providers are going to be required to or are being now being required to share is vast, it's massive. You know, you also need to secure that infrastructure and the applications, and you've got to make sure you're enabling cloud compute for scale. Um, No, but I also think it's important to ensure that your members and patients are staying actively engaged. You know, maybe you design a sexier app, but you've also got to have the infrastructure that you need to support it. It's going to be seen as a real competitive advantage if members and patients can seamlessly access their EHR, coverage, member data, however they want to access it on whichever device they want to use. For them to know that their data is secure is going to be really, really important. But if you get that right, you have the competitive edge. Excellent. Now, um, 
As we know, in October, the White House picked healthcare as one of its next critical infrastructure focus areas with the aim of raising minimum security standards. Now, Carly, can you share some perspective on legislation that should support that? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Um, so as Claire just mentioned, you know, we've seen such widespread use of our personal devices to access the information we need and the information we want. So uh, the PATCH Act, which stands for Protecting and Transforming Cyber Health Act, that's pending. Um, that enables the implementation of, of critical cybersecurity requirements for medical device manufacturers who are applying for pre-market approval through the FDA. The act requires manufacturers to design and develop and maintain updates and patches throughout the life cycle of their devices. And these manufacturers would also have to create a thorough plan for addressing any post-market vulnerabilities in a timely manner. And then they would also be required to create a software bill of materials for their product and its components. So if passed, this patch act would expand on medical device manufacturing regulations and really could help mitigate a lot of those medical device security risks that are still pretty prevalent today. What do you think? Yeah, no, I was just thinking about, you know, health tech organizations, you know, they can ultimately make or break the healthcare org. You know, making bad decisions on the health tech can have an impact on everything it touches. And if, if not secured effectively, it can land the healthcare org with a bunch of fines. You know, Akamai's response to this specifically is to go back to the foundation offerings I've been talking about. You know, health tech orgs lean on ACMI to secure their applications. And ultimately, we want to embed ACMI into the application with like an OEM model. This way, ACMI security, scale and availability comes with whatever the health tech application is when you buy it. Yeah, that's such great insight. Thank you. And then Marianne, and in terms of some other important things we're seeing coming down the pike, we have the Healthcare Cybersecurity Act that was introduced in March. Uh, the goal behind that is to get CISA and the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, to collaborate and improve cybersecurity processes in hospitals and across health systems. And uh, that authorizes cybersecurity training for healthcare and public health sector asset owners and operators surrounding the risks and um, you know ways to mitigate those. And it requires CISA to conduct a study uh, on a few things, trying to trim it down. Notably, those include risks that specifically impact healthcare assets, evaluating the challenges that healthcare uh, faces in securing updated information systems, and then an assessment of relevant cybersecurity workforce shortages. In essence, facing a changing regulatory landscape and ongoing workforce shortages that are super prevalent across lots of industries, but especially healthcare, I would say that preparation with Akamai is the best medicine. We offer solutions that are fully managed, hybrid, and self-service. I see. Now, all too often, we tend to lose sight of the people and the people process technology discussion. As you mentioned, workforce shortages are a concern in many industries, but especially healthcare these days. Now we've got early retirements, people transitioning to other fields, and even vaccine-related strikes. Now there's a hiring and labor shortage for clinical and non-clinical roles. So Carly, what further impacts do you think this will have on healthcare and life sciences? 
like I mentioned earlier, I think we've seen some great transition when it comes to, um, you know, automation, but we also need to think a little bit more about what that means when it comes to outsourcing. So uh, you can outsource a lot of RCM related work in the provider space, um, even traditional clinical tasks like prior authorizations that eat up a lot of time that could be spent on patient care, not sitting on the phone can be outsourced. And then we've seen, you know, a great move towards automation of tasks through machine learning and AI. But uh, like I said, the as the healthcare system grows, the number of endpoints grows with it. And so, you know, there's no denying that this accelerated digital transformation has extended the ecosystem exponentially. We have the wearables and the monitoring devices. Our telehealth is um, a standard care modality. And the explosion of patient-facing apps and the usage of those apps has really taken cybersecurity from something that was more backroom in the mid-2000s to something that's in the boardroom today. And healthcare has made great progress when it comes to addressing real problems, including interoperability and patient access. But because of this digital convergence, the impacts of a cyber attack could cause patient safety challenges and operational disruptions. Just to throw it out there, uh, some more stats. There's a recent survey of 700 security leaders from healthcare organizations and firms across transportation, manufacturing, and IT. And this is a global survey. It found that attacks on IoT devices were common across all of these sectors, but healthcare organizations experience the most cyber attacks out of all of the verticals that I mentioned. So 82% of healthcare organizations in this survey uh, reported a cyber attack on their IoT devices. And that's just a number that we can't ignore anymore. Does that mean we shouldn't adopt new technology? I think the answer is most assuredly not. There's also tons of data to support the case for modern record sharing when it comes to improving mortality rates and care outcomes and even addressing the all-important topic of physician burnout. But the pandemic and an industry-wide legacy lag still exists when it comes to cultural and organizational willingness to meet the pace of need with the pace of speed. The healthcare and life sciences cybersecurity profession really needs to pivot quickly to ensure a few things. And those things include operational readiness, like we had chatted about, um, patient safety and care continuity to prevent crises like Common Spirit is currently dealing with, and then data security and patient privacy, like the Seattle breach that affected half a million people, which include providers in addition to patients. You know, now that we're moving more towards the interior part of that digital vortex, I don't really think there's any going back. And security really needs to match or even exceed that pace. So Claire, what do you suggest to meet or exceed the pace of innovation needs in healthcare and life sciences? This is exactly why we're trying to make it easier for healthcare CISOs and buyers to consume Akamai and the cybersecurity narrative. And I should say, the tools that we talk about at Akamai, whether you choose to work with Akamai as a partner or not, these are tools that your company needs. For Akamai to make it easier, we map to each regulation and advisory. We've layered on how Akamai helps for each of the prevailing threats. But using a common methodology and runbook and using a common defined language within the healthcare organization is extremely important. And as I've said previously, you know, Akamai can also align to any security framework that our customers choose. So no matter if you're a payer, provider, or farmer, life sciences org, or you power their orgs with health tech, you need to start with securing your infrastructure, starting with segmentation. If that's the only thing you have money for or the only thing you can get investment for, do that and make sure it can scale and gives you the visibility into the attacks that you need. 
choose your security partner very carefully. Terrific. Now, Carly and Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your insights. And special thanks to Akamai for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks. Thank you.